Hello and welcome to That Band Life. I'm Jeff Young, a teacher from Carmel, Indiana. And I'm Bobby Lambert, director of bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. That Band Life, a podcast about making our careers as music educators more fulfilling so we can be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Speaking of being more creative, this week we're going to talk all about designing a marching band show. So right off the bat, let's talk about what we need to do right now, and I think what we need to do is start. Uh, Seriously, folks, if you haven't started yet, you are behind. Uh, It's not red alert time, but the successful program started in January planning next year's show. And it's not that these programs are only thinking about marching band. You know, we had our meeting back in early January, and while we were there, we talked about um, different music that we wanted to play this year in concert band. We talked about the way we wanted to hold, handle solo and ensemble. So it's not the idea that you're only focusing on marching band all year long. It's more that intermittently throughout the semester, we're going to get together and put some ideas down to paper. It's like people who say, I'm, I'm going to get in shape. And, and you're like, well, you haven't, get, <laughs> you haven't gotten in the gym yet. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. You it's have like, to just jump and go. Right. We have some kids I was talking with uh, this last week, and I was talking to them about what chair they'd like to be in or what band they'd like to be in next year. And of course, everyone said, I want to be in a higher chair. I want to be in an upper level band. I said, that's great. How much time have you spent on the audition music? And when silence came, I said, it's great to say you want to do those things, but unless you actually do something, you're making no ground whatsoever. I think the next thing we need to do is build a team. And uh, nobody should feel alone in this activity. We keep talking about that band life being, you know, the directors and and instructors and all of these different people who are involved in this activity. Um, I don't think anybody should feel alone. We need to reach out to people. We need to build a team um, and hopefully keep that team for a while. Um, At the very least, you could get a band show in a box kind of thing from one of those companies. There's a number of them out there. So you don't have to do an exact show uh, from one of those band show in a box kind of places, but you can definitely use it as a guide to design something that fits for you or your program and your students. Jeff, one of the cool things is we had a listener say, I wish you would do a podcast about how you handle staff and staff development. We, We do want to do that later on, but we thought we'd insert something right here about how to hire and fire staff. I know this is a luxury for a lot of people, but I think that most bands now have at least some college students that will come in to help. So we wanted to kind of tackle this a little bit. And when you start to think about hiring and firing of staff, it's a tough call. Uh, No one hates to fire someone. But when you think about the welfare of your kids and your program, it makes that decision much more practical and much more sensible. So here are some of the questions to ask when you're deciding about whether keeping or dismissing a staff member. Set one, how much does this staff member cost in amounts of money, time, or worry? You know, some, some staff members don't cost a lot of money to be there, but you have to worry about what they're going to say and how they're going to affect people. If that, if that staff member costs you very much in any one of those three categories, or at least an inordinate amount compared to the rest of the program, you should consider uh, getting rid of them. Number two, how much does the staff member give in terms of knowledge, support, and guidance? I think hiring a staff member and paying them well is really smart when they are making the job infinitely easier for the director and the students. So if they have a great deal to add, let them keep adding. Question three, how far do I trust this staff member? Now, truthfully, this is question one. You know, can can I trust a staff member to handle themselves with professionalism and 
uh, a moral compass. You know, if you can't answer that quickly, you should get rid of them. And I know in our world today, we think that, you know, but we've got this great, maybe a person who worked at drum corps and, you know, I just have to be careful with them. Uh, you have to consider, is your job worth that? Right. And I think the answer to that is pretty obvious. But I think when you talk about this side of trust, we're talking about can he or she run a full rehearsal alone? Right. We're not always just talking in this case about, uh, you know, whether they have a moral compass. This is like, can you turn them loose and and have them get some stuff done? Right. I mean, absolutely. That's that's the first question. But this one is more, uh, are, are they ready to take some responsibilities? And I'll talk about that more in just a second. Question four, is there someone better suited for this job? You know, they may cost less than the, the first set, or they may give more, or they may be trusted more. And I think that's important for us to always to kind of keep in mind. But then here is the final question that I think you have to ask ultimately. Finally, can this staff member be better trained, or would that time or energy be suited going toward acquiring a better person? Uh, in my experience, I feel staff members need at least two years to prove their full potential. The first year is simply getting their feet wet, especially for a staff, a younger staff member. The second year, they should be given direct supervision or direct responsibilities. And by that point, the director should be able to see their great potential or great performance. And if neither one arises, then the return on investment, the ROA process must begin. And that's the five questions I just gave you. I'd encourage letting staff members go during the winter so they can plan for next year and you can start to find other members then. If you decide to invest in their training, then there are several steps that can be explored. And like I said, we'll talk about that in a different podcast. My kind of rule of thumb is if I have somebody in mind that I'm really serious about, I probably need to let the staff member go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We've all had staff members who were great students when we had them in band and then you you get them out uh you know teaching sectionals or something and you're like oh man they actually are not as good a teacher as they were a performer or a student uh, in our classroom that's good advice bobby students aren't dumb if they know that you've really thought about the best people for them they will react accordingly if they think you're just letting anybody off the street come and work with them they'll also react accordingly All right. So we've started the process. We've built a team. We've hired and fired some staff. The next thing we need to do is meet early and often. So obviously it's not early right now. We've passed by right now. We're recording this in April. Um, We've we've missed some months if we haven't started yet. So let's just say meet often. You know, Bandcamp may seem far off at the end of the year, but the end of the year is going to come really quickly uh, through the month of May. Um, and I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be working really hard on my first couple days off of summer. So we might as well get some of this stuff done now. Um, it's bad enough that we have to do band camps for half of our quote summer. <laughs> so we might as right. well, while we're actually at work here, start do, doing some meetings and getting, getting this, this stuff done. Right. And I think, again, it's not just that the programs are only talking about marching band. Like we've had our full staff in and we just recently were invited to the Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic. and at Congratulations, our, by uh, the way. Thank you very much. Well, we're all now in panic mode. It's now yeah. reality. But what was great is our marching meeting, we started having 
talks about how do we make sure to balance the two things out without compromising anything. So it was great to have everybody around just to do that. And it, it's going to take us four months to make that work. And I'd rather do those meetings once a month for four months than trying to do four days of endless meetings with people to get everything set in May. And as they say, if it's not on the calendar, it's not really going to happen. So I would say if we're going to meet early and often, let's make sure we all get out our calendars and and say, look, here's here's when we're meeting. No questions asked. Everybody's got to be there either on the phone or over Skype or in person. Absolutely. The next thing we need to do is have deadlines, um, you know, because we can have all the meetings we want and have all these great ideas. But if there's not any sort of penalties or incentives uh, and deadlines, people are probably just going to go the easy route and things aren't going to get done. Um, you know, I, there, there's op options. You could pay the drill writer and music arranger a deposit and then say, you know, if you get this done early, you're going to get more money. If you get this done late, you're going to get less money or we'll replace you. What, you know, whatever has to be in place. Uh, but you can't just let people uh, it, do it at their own pace, I guess. Yeah. And I don't think you have to be a jerk about that. I think, you know, whenever you try to, you know, push somebody to be artistic, it never works well. It's more that other side of things of saying, hey, you know, we're going to let's pretend that the cost of that was X amount of dollars for this drill. Hey, if you get us the drill a month early, we'll pay you X plus a, an early deposit of $500 or whatever it is so that you give them some incentive to be creative, but be creative faster. Uh, and then having the deadlines for each movement of the show, I think it's great to say we want to have an idea or we want to have you know, the opener. I think what gets tough is people get the opener or the first half of the show done quickly. But then the you can tell the last half was not given as much thought because it was pressed and it just got pushed to the back side of the planning process. So I think having deadlines for each of those aspects is really important. Next thing we need to do is stay on budget. Uh, of course, everybody knows this, but it's important to say it. Um, we always know that props are going to cost more than expected and travels almost always going to cost more than expected. And, uh, you know, we have to make sure we not use our, we don't use our full budget to create the marching band show. We have to stay within, uh, our limits and remember that there's still concert season and jazz ensemble and indoor groups and all that, that are very important as well. Yeah. To piggyback on what Jeff just said about staying on budget, we want you to also be proactive rather than reactive. You know, you're the adult and you're the person that's paying the bills for this. So you have to assert yourself and follow a schedule and a plan, especially with your drill rider, your arranger and your percussion arranger, guard rider, those people that are making those designs work. Have clear communication with the drill rider, the arrangers, the designers, as far as deadlines are concerned. Be really clear with we need to have this information by this time because the last thing you want to do is to go into band camp with less information than you wanted for your students. That can really waste their time and slow your process. All right. So if you're not driving and you're taking notes, just write this down. We're going to start now. We're going to build a team. We're going to hire and fire staff. We're going to meet early and often. We're going to have deadlines and include penalties and incentives. We're going to stay on budget. We're going to be proactive, not reactive. And we're going to have clear communication. Just wanted to let you know that this podcast is coming to you ad-free. One way you can support us is by visiting our website, dynamicmarching.com, and purchasing products through our store at some of the most discounted prices on the web, on things like shoes and rifles and even mega boxes. 
You'll definitely also want to check out our online courses and videos as well. These have helped thousands of band directors with pedagogy and music and marching fundamentals. Now the next thing we want to think about in designing our marching band show, when we're actually thinking about the show, we've come up with the 10 elements of great marching band shows. Now this is not uh, an exhaustive list. It's just uh, when we were thinking about this, these are 10 things that, that when we're watching shows, we, we routinely see these things. And I think the first thing is that the show is through composed. At every moment, there's some sort of theme that's clear or, or at least, you know, you're, you're looking from point A to point Z in the show and you're like, yeah, yeah, that all fit together. There was a composition. The audience always knows what this is all about and where it's going. Uh, even if you're totally wrong about what you think that the show is all about, um, I, th I think we always see these, this idea of through composed. Well, the, the part that kind of acts as landmarks along the show are those memorable moments. This is sort of set two. The memorable moments are both visual and musical. I think if you think back to your favorite marching band shows, it's not even necessarily the whole show that was the idea. It was this particular moment or this thing that happened. A lot of people will talk about when uh, Koji Mori yelled, I am Spartacus at this Phantom Regiment show uh, a few years ago. People talk back in the olden days of people stepping over on the Madison Scouts line when the color guard laid down and the wind stepped over them. I mean, those moments are incredibly powerful and you have to plan them accordingly. You should think that we want to have a number of them throughout our show that still keep with our through composed idea. Number three, we need an emotional connection. And I just came back from WGI finals. I watched uh, independent world and scholastic world finals on Saturday. And there were a number of times where I was completely caught up in the emotion of the show. Uh, sometimes I was, uh, you know, they're angry or sometimes they're, you know, uh, thinking about family members or whatever. Like, I don't know, like it, whatever emotion it is, you find yourself caught up in the emotion that the performers are giving and great marching band shows have an emotional connection. I come from a different place with this. I think the emotional connection is so important. I also think that having an intellectually stimulating show is really important. And some of the great shows that you'll remember definitely have that. You know, I came from the guy who is really known for doing that, Greg Bem at Marian Catholic. You know, there'd be times we'd be at the end of the season and I picked out something that I'd never noticed before. And he was like, oh yeah, that's definitely part of it. So I think that you know, the best type of show that you can have has multiple levels of this. And I think the best part about this, the thing that's important about the intellectual uh, stimulation is it's not only good for the audience, but it's good for your students. You know, if you're playing music that's really pretty lowbrow and doesn't really say a lot, you're going to find, I think, in the concert season, you have some trouble. The students want that intellectual stimulation, uh, maybe more even so than the audience. So really keeping that in the forefront of your mind is wildly important in designing a show. I think if we think of this as like a triangle, you've got the emotional and the intellectual. We've got to finish that triangle with the aesthetically pleasing part. And this is obviously a visual comment, but we want to look at the show and, and with the aesthetics of the show should be pleasing to the eye. And I think that's uh, that's self-explanatory there. One of the things that we, we felt like we needed to say here in this day and age is that you want to make sure that your show is not offensive. 
uh, this is this is a really kind of deep well that you can draw from. I think that I've seen people and students who who thought that they were working really hard on a show and then they found out uh, it can be taken the wrong way, either by a title or by a thought. I'll give you a really good example. Um, in September of 2001, I was in my first year at Marian Catholic. And of course, on September 11th, we all know what happened with the, the World Trade Center. We were doing a show about war and about Vietnam, and on September the 12th, we stopped doing it, and we completely changed tracks. They're not always that clear. So I think, you know, I do a thing where I, I bring some kids in, key students, and I'll say, okay, I'm thinking about this title or this piece or this whatever. Is there anything that I don't know about that is in the vernacular of today that could cause a problem? I'd say the next thing is that the show is unique and uh, we, we have all seen shows where, uh, you know, it was like the calling card for that group. You, you think back and you know exactly what that show was and what group did that show because it was so unique um, and you can't copy other people's uniqueness. You know, you, you, we've all seen the, the Blue Coats show with the big red half pipes on the field and that was a, certainly a unique thing that had never been done. Well, you can't go out there and do those red half pipes. That was their unique thing. You need to come up with your unique thing. I think what's rough to, to finish that thought is I think it's tough when people buy old props and use them in the same way. I've seen people buy props and use them in a new and unique way, paint them, do something, and I think that's very cool. But when you use them in the exact same way, you've taken away some of the magic. It would be as if you went to uh, Six Flags and they had the Dumbo ride there. It wouldn't work. It just doesn't work. So with that idea, though, you've got to have a unity of elements. And I think what we're talking about here is the idea of the music, the visual, the emotional, all working together. But then it goes even one one step further of the winds being uh, uh, integrated with the guard, being integrated with the percussion, being integrated or at least affected by the front ensemble. I think that if you have those as separate, unique entities and you don't blend mix, or at least interact, then you've missed a really major opportunity that all of the really fine bands are going to do. So I think making sure that all the elements do lead back to your theme, but also the elements are integrated and interactive with one another. We also have to make sure that we maximize the strengths of the group. Uh, very, very good marching band shows um, play to the strengths of the group. If, if you have a great woodwind section, uh, make sure you uh, have the opportunity to feature them. And, and you know, you just look at the strengths of your group, whether it's individuals or sections, and make sure that that show highlights those strengths and maybe hides some of the weaknesses too. Yeah, I think every band has a strength. I know when I came to Wando, we knew that music was a strength of ours and we knew we had other things that we needed to work on. So we wanted to make sure that we increased our weaknesses, but that we really played to our strengths. And when I look back at the 2014 show, uh, I think that, man, we did a great job. We fooled a lot of people into thinking we could march well. <laughs> and, and we really played uh, to the strength of that group, which was they were very fine players. Well, the last thing on this list, number 10, is that the show makes you think, but also in parentheses, not too much. You know, I don't think that I think that when, I, when people tell me they're doing a show about the apocalypse or doing a show about, you know, dying or whatever, I, I get a little cautious with that. I think there are some people who can really pull that off. 
there's some designers out there who are just masters at telling any and every story, but that's the minority. Um, I think that you have to consider a, a show that your kids can relate to, that your audience can relate to, depending on where you are in the country, and that it's something that they're going to see on a football field. Uh, we always have to kind of remember that, that the majority of people are going to be our football audience. They're going to see the show the most amount of times. And if this show makes them leaving, thinking about you know calling a funeral home to set up their casket making, I'm not sure that you've made the best of that opportunity. So it's great to have a show that makes you think, but it still has to be some sort of mental, uh, the, the aesthetic, intellectual, or emotional. It has to be pleasing in those categories to make it worthwhile. So that was our list of 10 elements of great marching band shows. If you're interested in taking a course that walks you through the process of designing a show from start to finish, I have good news for you. Bobby and I actually created a course, an online course, that takes you through the planning stages of your design in over about four to five weeks. Um, and just for podcast listeners, we're going to make this course available uh, at least until May 1st for the lowest price ever. Uh, if you visit dynamicmarching.com slash product slash design, uh, you can get access to this course for half price for just about four weeks. See the show notes for the link. And Bobby, I think you have some homework for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. We've really we've committed to always giving you homework for next time, and this is it for this one. I want you to find an exemplar show. Find a great show from a similar band as your own and reach out asking how they put the product together. Maybe think about a piece of music that you've already performed and search for it and uh, marching band online. Like if you've maybe done... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you've done kind of a winter show. Put winter show, great marching band. Put that in Google and see what you come up with. Or simply input good, comma, small high school marching band. Or good, comma, Big Ten style marching band. And pick a couple of those videos out that you would have loved to have been part of. Like, that's my style. That's what a great band looks like and sounds like. And then reach out to those directors and ask them a few questions. And here are the two that I would, only, I would strongly encourage you to do. Number one, who put your show together or where did you buy it? For some people, it's going to be out of a box. For some people, it's going to have a designer. And some people will be a blend of both. Ask them how they did it. And then number two, what is their rehearsal schedule? How do they get that good with the amount of time that they have? And then start to compare your process and your procedures with that group. I think if you start with those two, two questions, you can learn a ton about show design in similar base schools. I think if you search Google for anything, comma, marching band, Ohio State comes up. <laughs> oh, so. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's some bands out there that use that style, especially in the Midwest, that I think could learn a ton from those folks. All right. So just to wrap this up, as usual, uh, Bobby and I have a few things we'd like for you to do besides your homework, and that is subscribe on your favorite podcasting host. Follow and comment on That Band Life social media pages. On Facebook, you can search for That Band Life Podcast. On Instagram, we're at That Band Life One. And on Twitter, it's at Dynamic Marching. You can also email me at jeff at dynamicmarching.com or bobby at bobby at dynamicmarching.com. Share your wins and losses, and together we can learn to be better music educators. Also, share your questions or suggestions for topics and guests you would like to hear on future podcasts. Well, thank you all so much for listening to us. We really hope that we've given you something to think about and that we are getting you ready for the next 
podcast. And Jeff, why don't you tell them a little bit about our next one that's coming up? On the next podcast, we're going to do part two of show design, and we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty. And I think we've got the six pillars for show design success. And uh, it's kind of like an overview of what the six units of our course are. I think it's great. This course was actually something really powerful for me. We put it together my first year here at Wando, and we still are using that as kind of a blueprint for how we put together not only our um, marching band show, but our whole year. So I think if you're at all interested in something like that or feel like that's a little bit of a detriment in your life or program, you should definitely check that out. I would encourage you to do so. Well, I think we've come upon that time where it's time for us to get busy and get on with our band life. So I'm Bobby Lambert from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And I'm Jeff Young, and this has been That Band Life.